Hi, everyone. You are in the game, a podcast about sports and business and the intersection of those two exciting fields. This is Vladimir Basanets coming in from Seattle, Washington, and I'm joined by my co-host Anand Punjabi in London. On today's podcast, we welcome Gene Swinton. Gene is the founder and CEO of Sports D-Cubed, a company that provides professional sports teams with an innovative alternative to raising funds by facilitating crowd formation of capital on its DLT-powered platform. Really, they do. DLT stands for Distributed Ledger Technology, or read the way Bitcoin and NFT work, where clubs are able to digitize, securitize, and sell their assets to fan investors in the form of security token offerings. Gene had the idea for this company while studying at Keller School of Management at Northwestern University and has actually formed the organization with a number of his classmates who serve as advisors and executives of this venture. So Gene is here to tell us about this vision and what it may mean for sports and funding sports enterprises in the near future. So stay tuned and get ready to jump in the game with us. Well, welcome everyone to uh, the latest episode of the In The Game podcast. We're delighted today to have Gene Swinton from uh, Sports D3 join us. Gene, welcome. Good morning and thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure. Gene, you uh, kindly took some time to speak with us a little bit earlier in the week and now we get a chance to uh, talk to our audience. Let's get started straight away. Why don't um, you tell us a little bit about your professional background, uh, your professional journey, and what has led you now to being involved in the in the DLT arena, the sports arena, uh, and, the, and using blockchain? Sure. Let me start from the very start. <laughs> I was born in, uh, in the USSR. This gives you an idea of how old I might be. Uh, I spent my childhood in Ukraine, and that's where I get my accent from. And, uh, and that's where I also got my first uh, education, bachelor degree in business administration at the end of the 90s. So today I'm in my mid-40s, and um, behind my back there are over 25 years of professional experience. And uh, this includes experience in uh, large multinational corporations in different countries across a broad range of industries. So uh, that would be that would include telecommunications in one of the joint ventures of AT&T. Uh, then uh, in Gillette, when I was living and working in Moscow, covering 16 countries for a specific brand in Gillette portfolio. Also motion picture industry, which was kind of fun. Anything to do with Hollywood is always fun. And I was covering Canada market for motion picture in, uh, products in Fujifilm. And, uh, QSI industry for American uh, Dunkin' Brands, covering Canada market. I started my career in uh, marketing function, and over the years, it transitioned into a broader spectrum of responsibilities, including some general management tasks, specifically in uh, in the last corporate job in Dunkin' Brands. And the last corporate job in Dunkin' was, uh, I think now it's going to be eight years ago. Basically, eight years ago, I transitioned away from corporate and uh, started gradually transitioned into assisting my elderly father in managing family fund and investment portfolio. And uh, that's what I was, what I'm doing for the past full time. 
eight years, but overall 15 years managing, uh, helping, first helping and then man- taking more active role in managing the investment portfolio of the family fund. Uh, and that's uh, pretty much my path professionally, very briefly. In the past, uh, I think five years or four years ago, I also uh, joined executive MBA program from Kellogg School of Management. One of uh, actually, it's it was ranked number three in the world for executive education by Financial Times, um, and um, that was actually quite an amazing experience with lots of interesting connections, which also influenced how this whole project that I'm working on uh, started and originated. But that's, uh, in a nutshell, my 25 years of professional career. So you mentioned Kellogg, and obviously uh, our co-host Vlad also attended Kellogg uh, as uh, through the MBA program. <laughs> you mentioned that the... Cheers to that. Your, cheers to that, exactly. Vlad, where's your Kellogg cup? I don't have it here yet. Okay. It's too early for coffee, I think, here on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that was maybe the seed or the genesis for... Yeah. Uh, what you're doing now, so maybe you could you could start there as a starting point, because uh, we'd love to hear about about sports D three, yeah. and maybe that's a great place to start. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, there are many variables and ingredients that that became the trigger for for the whole initiative to build sports. We, uh, the correct name is Sports D cubed, uh, although Sports Sports D three is also. Okay. I- no, that's fine. No, no, we, we have to call it as it is. <laughs> and we'll be sure to introduce it correctly. Yeah, well, the cube is hard to put into the domain name and uh, different places. So we sure. pu- we use both. But anyway, to answer your question, uh, I would say a, a range of variables went into the equation before the idea was born. And uh, I would say experience managing family fund was one of the big ones, specifically during that experience over the past 15 years, I, I had exposure in three different areas. One area was a fixed income, emerging markets, uh, securities, bonds, energy, financial, financial sector, uh, mining. That's financial services industry exposure. Then there was also exposure in real estate, which uh, actually being tokenized these days by the DLT platforms. And finally, uh, directly, uh, I got involved with um, technology investing. And uh, right now, definitely, bulk chain is uh, the key component of, of this uh, initiative within the portfolio, family portfolio. Uh, but after having all these three different types of exposures and then going into the Kellogg program, it kind of became the crystallization of ideas um, based on that experience and background from previous years. In Kellogg, we had uh, lots of discussions about blockchain uh, to the point that we we decided to form a group, a club uh, dedicated to blockchain. It was uh, 160, it is, still is, 160 people strong. Uh, We discussed everything and anything to do with blockchain. We actually went even one step further and we launched our own, our own blockchain, KCoin blockchain. And we used it purely for educational purposes. We were running nodes across the globe. Students and alumni from uh, Kellogg uh, were pretty much running the nodes. Brazil, Hong Kong, uh, Europe, here, Canada, US, uh, but still purely for, fi- for educational purposes. Blockchain is a broad range of things. 
affecting our lives on every society life on every level but my uh, my interests were pretty narrow I, I my fascination was around tokenization of real assets on a blockchain and uh, and when i say real it doesn't mean real estate assets I, i'm referring to assets which are either financial instruments regulated financial instruments assets which are backed by real assets in real world and balance sheets of different companies um in other words things which are more tangible so to say and uh, this is how the idea of tokenization platform was initiated with some of the kellogg colleagues it was originally intended to be a real estate platform but we quickly realized that uh, there is a way more potential with uh, with um, sports industry and, and i will give you a, a short story how it happened realization i was uh, I, I was flying at on, on my uh, trip to europe where i met the ceo of uh, fc shakhtar and their management team and that was back in uh, 20 where it was at the very end of 2018 and um i was impressed with their level of enthusiasm and interest in uh in the blockchain potential that it can bring to the sports industry. It was unusual to see someone in the sports industry with this level of understanding, first of all, and second, motivation to explore. As we discussed, I realized more and more the huge potential it it can generate with the fans, sports fans around the globe. And following that meeting, shortly after, after the uh, after the it was at the very end of 2018 i believe right after the new year we signed a loi agreement with fc shakhtar for strategic partnership and collaboration on the development of this platform and still working to date to to build this platform if i may just interrupt and just to give our readers um some context in case they're not familiar fc shakhtar is perhaps the the largest football team in ukraine maybe alongside dynamo kiev yes it's a Ukrainian team, although it's very uh, it's very famous around the globe. Uh, I would say very yeah. popular among Brazil fans. Lots of Brazil play players were recruited and hired to play for Shakhtar over the years. Yeah, and uh, right. uh, specifically to be more kind of quantified in uh, in this uh, assessment, uh, FC Shakhtar is ranking uh, at number twenty two in the world on a football finance index uh, so my understanding of this index is that uh, it's 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 ranking clubs by the extent of their assets and their level of richness uh, so a uh, very successful well-off club and we are excited to have them as a partner and advisor their management team is a, as an uh, advisory panel so very happy to to, to have this uh, relationship with them Gene, as you talk to them and as you look at kind of um, where the opportunities are for you know tokenization of uh, what Shakhtar does and you know potentially other other clubs, maybe it would be useful to sort of break down sort of how this club and maybe you know clubs in general make money. So obviously, you know tickets, obviously you know concessions, things like um, 
you know, stadium revenue, whether it's from, uh, you know, naming rights or, or other other kind of things. But also a big portion of how European clubs make money is through trading players, right? Are there other sources of income? And, and, and then maybe give us a sense of kind of where then tokenization fits very well with uh, some of these uh, ways of, um, or, or maybe with some of these revenue streams. When it comes to tokenization, especially when you talk to maximalists of uh, blockchain religion, so to speak, they say they can tokenize everything. And uh, I like it the way it sounds, but I think uh, the rationale, the business rationale and common sense has to prevail. And uh, you need to focus on areas for tokenization, which can yield the best results. And uh, out of my uh, experience over the past, uh, what, four years uh, with this project, since its inception, I see the following areas of interest for tokenization. In order of priority, I will definitely put transfer market at number one. This is where our focus falls on. And uh, as you mentioned, last year or maybe 2018, UEFI report stated that 33% of a club's revenue comes from transfer market. I'm not sure what group of clubs was uh, used for this sample uh, uh, to, 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 to generate this information. But uh, in that report, I came across 33% of being, uh, which is a huge chunk of uh, revenue generating activities. And that's where we are focusing. And I will explain, I guess, later why and how. But uh, to answer your question, other areas which seems uh, seem to be interesting are licensing and broadcasting rights. We were approached by hedge funds from the U.S., which have uh, licensing and broadcasting rights in Latin America, Central America. Uh, they were looking at and exploring to tokenize it and make it more spread out between individual smaller investors. Then uh, you can certainly look into infrastructure um, projects. So you can uh, use tokenization and uh, capital raising, this model for capital raising to finance uh, let's say, an installation of a new signage in a stadium or refurbishing a stadium or even construction of a stadium, uh, if you will, anything to do with infrastructure. There are also, these are, I'm talking about assets, which I call real assets, which are, as I refer to them, the ones that are uh, reflected on the balance sheet uh, as uh, assets. But we can yeah, also sure. look at things like uh, less tangible. Uh, and there are already examples uh, in the, in the marketplace of uh, launching uh, purely marketing and loyalty-focused uh, tokens to, 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 stimulate and engage, uh, to stimulate and incent uh, engagement among fans. It's, uh, the sky is the limit of can, what can be invented in terms of marketing and how you spin it and how you use the marketing. I call them the marketing tokens or fan tokens. Um, but uh, that's another application of tokenized uh, loyalty as an asset. Well, we, we also, right now, I guess so you, you must uh, be aware of the NFT craze that is going on. Uh, all the NFTs are being sold for ridiculous amounts of funds, but I'm still not convinced fully about uh, the potential of it. I think it will be applicable not equally in every in every possible opportunity to tokenize. What I mean is, uh, first of all, I am concerned that NFT, it can be replicated. And to, to prevent it, you still need, besides the technology, you need the whole infrastructure of uh, legal frameworks to make it work. So even if the technology has a huge promise, it will not succeed until there are many other, there would be many other things built around it 
to make it work. If I can replicate some media video clip from a last game, a sports game, I don't think there is scarcity much in it. If there is a way to enforce and uh, follow through with these uh, rules of uh, enforcing exclusivity, exclusivity for, let's say, for roy- for the purpose of royalty payments or other opportunities, uh, then it will work. But for now, I think I just want to be more skeptical and before before it becomes an action point, and uh, I want to just observe on the sidelines. Gene, one quick follow up on on the NFT craze. Uh, I think one of the extremely uh, you know beneficial things that that they offer are these uh, concept of a you know smart contract. You know, essentially being able to sort of put things that would you know trigger certain things in the future based on you know some activity, right? Do you anticipate that becoming you know perhaps how athletes also? Um, Sign their contracts in the in the in the future, so so not necessarily you know you're not necessarily worried about whether you know a piece of asset is you know unique or whether you can replicate it or not replicate it, but but using this technology to then also you know essentially guide how uh, some of the provisions of the of the contract are are being laid out and uh, executed. Yeah, I mean smart contracts can be uh, whatever you want it to be. You can you you can develop whatever triggers you. Is, rele- is relevant to you uh, to to trigger events that are also meaningful to you. Or if you are making a promise to someone, it will be automatically executed without uh, without a doubt of a third party. There are no counterparty risks. It's done automatically. It resides on the blockchain. But I mean, here the universe of opportunities is unlimited. Uh, it, it would be more interesting to talk about any specific executions. Like I, just a day ago, I was discussing with my colleague uh, from family office, uh, in a family office environment, and they were discussing how to uh, how to program their smart contracts so that the father can uh, can trigger inheritance not just to the next uh, next generation, but uh, three generations forward. So some triggers within the contracts will distribute assets to future inheritance sometime in the future that we don't even know how far how far it is when it happens but i mean smart contracts uh, definitely is uh, quickly penetrating every industry and sports will not be an exception and of course smart contracts will be behind our tokens which are not nft we are using erc20 standards for now and uh, definitely every time we create uh, an asset there is a smart contract behind it so that's a great uh, segue into my next question. What stage are you at now? What what stage is Sports uh, D squared at? What what is your main offering mm-hmm. to your clients clients or client? The example you've given so far obviously is FC Shakhtar. And what are you working on at the moment? Yeah, as I mentioned, lots of opportunities, but I would distinguish two opportunities as most interesting to us. One is tokenization of existing contracts uh, that clubs have with their players for the basically transfer market. And um, the second uh, direction that provides opportunity is tokenization of uh, individual athletes, Yana's athletes, especially of particular interest. And unfortunately, we have uh, limited resources, so we decided to follow uh, to uh, to follow only the first priority, which is tokenization of uh, contracts. Also driven by advice, advisory from our you know, panel from uh, 
uh, FC Shakhtar. In a nutshell, we are offering rich and poor clubs an opportunity to tokenize their contracts with players and offer in the open market 10, 5, 25% stake in that particular player or a bundle of players and make it available in the open market to fan investors, millions across the globe. I think there are 4.9 billion of sports fans around the globe. Most of them are football fans. When player is sold to another club and there is a profit event, there is a profit generated, a percent share of that profit is, is going to be distributed to those uh, millions of investors. Uh, and that's what we're focusing on right now the most. This is uh, our priority right now. In terms of our stage where we are, we're still early stage. I would say if in traditional terms, we're a seed stage company. We do not have extended team. We use external resources. And as of today, our, I would say, key milestones. We got about 23,000 people who expressed interest already in our platform from all over the world. These are coaches, professional players, clubs, management of the clubs, investors, fan investors, even parents of uh, young athletes from pretty much every continent except for Antarctica. I think it's like 60 plus countries now. Another milestone is definitely our initial partnership with FC Shakhtar, which provides lots of insights, industry insights, connections, and valuable advice how to navigate this industry. We also, on a legal front, we were able to secure our first two licenses for uh, the license. uh, Both licenses allow us to operate uh, crypto wallet and crypto exchange in 27 European jurisdictions. And we're also planning to apply for additional financial uh, licenses of uh, investment intermediary in the future date. From technology standpoint, we just uh, finished our release 1.2 uh, on March 31st. Basically, our team of uh, research and of the development is located in Eastern Europe. They are very world-renowned team. They were involved in creation of some top cryptocurrencies in the world. Well, one of them. Uh, we are very happy. Uh, our blockchain expertise is of that caliber. And uh, our intention is to finish release two, three by the end of May. A, r- a release four will be focused on regulatory compliance, which will be focused primarily in, in the summer, in, by August. At that point, we, we would like to start um, in, uh, going more publicly with our discussions. But that's where we are, I guess, with our key milestones to date. Gene, I want to just circle back a little bit. Sure. You talked about your initial objective and your initial focus point being player contracts. Yeah. Can you talk us through a simple example of how that would work, both in in terms of all the stakeholders, so the club, the player, maybe even the selling club potentially if there's a transfer yep. involved and and the potential investors in in which case these are the fans that you intend to yeah to allow to participate there are multiple parties involved here and every every one of them has their interest yeah i'm interested to know how they would all benefit yeah, yeah. How, how can how can they all benefit basically i will start with the club and uh, 
I mean, I don't want to get into too many details, but there are two types of clubs. The one is that is rich, and the 80% of the other ones uh, are poor yeah. or struggling. And they have different motivations to use our platform. But in any case, the, the model still works pretty much the same. For poor and for rich, uh, it starts the same. Uh, they, they would take um, a contract with a player, three, five-year contract, whatever it is. And um, they go through the process of tokenization, which includes legal part, which is securitization, making it compliant with uh, financial regulations within the jurisdictions where the offering will be offered to investors. And the, the next step would be tokenization and uh, minting of uh, tokens, which will be sold in an offering to uh, to millions of uh, sports fans on the platform. And again, we can subdivide uh, the, the, the definition of investor in, in different buckets. There could be an average, uh, an average uh, fan investor with only 50 or 100 euros in the pocket. Uh, but it could also be an institutional investor or it could be a high net worth individual. But I, we will still bundle them as under one term, fan investor. Uh, right. So at, on our platform, they would be able to purchase uh, a, a tokenized representation of that contract. It's a fractional ownership right in that contract. And uh, I would say I would not anticipate more than 30-25% of a contract being tokenized. Otherwise, there is no interest for the club. So let me jump to the next step, which is, uh, let's say two years later, a club sells their player contracted player to another club for double the price. And uh, this means 100% profit. In the past, the club would take that profit completely by themselves. In our case, the portion proportionate to the tokenized and uh, uh, that was the, the portion of the profit that was tokenized and sold to the general public uh, will be distributed in the form of tokens to all the wallets on the platform who participated in the offering. So what happens in terms of benefits for each party? For the club, they can now afford more players with less funds of their own. In other words, they, it, it's, it, it can be perceived as an alternative financing, which can boost financial strength of a club. Yeah, it's a leverage play, essentially, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. And it's more affordable and more accessible than traditional banking. Um, it's more democratic. And uh, this is now we're talking about the benefits for the for the fan. As of last time I checked, the again, UEFA report, the transfer market was $6 billion. It was represented by about 500 transactions only, which was done between a very narrow circle of players in the market it's a closed market in other words fans are not able to play in that market it's closed uh, it's privileged it's elite and what we are providing is an opportunity for the regular guy to buy into a major league or major club or major player side by side with a billionaire owner uh, it's and that's why we call it uh, democratized. Like in the beginning of the um, of the program today, uh, we we mentioned SD cubed. Cubed D cubed stands for digitized, democratized, decentralized. So democratized is pretty much what I just described. We provide sure. access to millions of fans to benefit from what is closed today.
Gene, maybe this is an obvious question, but you know, for I think the wealthy clubs, the you know that the ones that are run by these billionaires that you know we know, they have no incentive to sort of democratize this essentially, right? Is this and this, or am I wrong? That's the question. Is this then just a tool for for the less fortunate ones? Yes, I gave you this example because this would be, uh, as I mentioned, eighty percent of the clubs do not have rich owners, but this is not this is not the case. And I will explain why. And uh, and uh, uh, interestingly, as you remember, uh, uh, Shakhtar is our uh, one of our uh, strategic advisors who steered us to that to that idea of focusing on specifically the transfer market. They are not poor, but they have their own motivations, and uh, there are multiple of them. And I will just describe, try to briefly describe a couple that I find most interesting ones. For a rich club, when they go into negotiations on a transfer, again, it happens within a small, narrow group of players in the market, 500 transactions. So in other words, the market is closed and very inefficient. In the financial world, it's called market inefficiency. Usually in in an efficient market, price formation is very skewed and inaccurate. In other words, in simple words, it means the price will be dependent on the skills of the negotiator. If my agent is aggressive or more resilient or more resourceful, yes. the price will be yeah. upside. So in other words, we do not know objective pricing in this market. I know KPMG and other consulting companies, they develop their own proprietary formulas how to quantify and uh, evaluate assets uh, and players in the sports industry. But still, these are subjective formulas, not not proven by open market conditions. So by opening the market, we allow market forces to form the real price. What does it give as a benefit to a rich club? First of all, they know that they are not underpaying or overpaying when they sell or buy something. They know it's fair. Second thing, uh, they can achieve it by just, flo- uh, sorry, and then they, the first thing, they can achieve it just, just by floating. It's in the financial world, we call it float floating just 5% or 10% of the uh, shares, the tokens of uh, as a representation of an asset. So in other words, to find the true price, you don't need to sell the entire asset. You just need to float a certain percent. And that's uh, that's one of the motivations for the rich club. Let me interrupt. So I just want to, yeah. this is a very interesting point you're making here. And I just want to understand this, this whole concept. So let's, let's take an example. Let's say PSG has Kylian Mbappe's contract, which one might argue is the most valuable in the world today, quite possibly, right? Um, And let's say he signed a new extended contract, let's say for four years, okay? So anyone who wants to to try and prize Mbappe away from PSG, you're talking, talking very big money. Can PSG go to the marketplace with this current contract and float it in yeah. a token, you know, use, using DLT. Yes, absolutely. And basically, okay. this will be open to the public. Imagine, instead of 500 participants in the market, you bring millions yeah. of people who are genuinely, genuinely interested in buying that uh, asset. And they will pay whatever they can pay and believe it's, right. it's worthwhile. And that's how the true for price is formed. Uh, and this is called price discovery mechanism that we are building uh, on our platform. This might be very interesting interesting uh, dynamics for rich clubs. But uh, the result, uh, another example I, I find might, might be re- resonating with some owners of the clubs. There are also minority owners of the club. And 
I would say everything we're discussing today in terms of assets in financial world, it, it's categorized as an alternative asset class. It's growing very fast. It's growing, it's doubled over the past, I think, five years. Uh, the problem with alternative assets that they very frequently, the, the, the liquidity in the markets is missing. They, in other words, I am not able to sell quickly my asset, especially if I am a minority, minority stake owner and Usually, this means I have to sell at a discount, and I am influenced by the majority owner. So what our platform enable is for that minority stakeholder to exit their position by selling to a large group of fan investors, potentially without incurring any minority investor discount. That's, uh, that's another advantage I'm, I think that would be interesting to, to what falls into the rich club category and their owners. Right. Right. Uh, this is more like financial discussion. I know it's not that much of a sports, but I think in general, I'm fascinated with business of football very much. And uh, that's probably why we are uh, going this path, this path. Well, Gene, for us, I mean, this is the crux of our focus as well. I mean, it's not just about the, the sports, but sort of how it functions. And I think this new area, yeah. this novel area of, uh, you know, finance is certainly interesting. My one really quick question on this is, um, so you're talking about, you know, financial instruments here. You you did mention obtaining some licenses earlier on in our in our conversation. Yeah. How do you approach, you know, securities laws and things like that through, you know, different countries and, you know, jurisdictions? And is, and is that something that also becomes a big uh, portion of uh, how you structure these? Absolutely. This is, I would say it is, it's an extremely important question. We are, as I mentioned, we are, our absolute uh, priority is to focus on regulated financial assets. This is what differentiates us from anything that exist today in the market and that's what we are we are focusing on it's our mission basically in order to achieve this regulatory component is extremely important compliance with all the existing regulations and future regulations is the only way to survive without getting in jail i guess in terms of regulation specifically there are two layers here to consider uh, football industry regulations and securities laws from uh, securities perspective, there are existing laws which mandate certain rules of how the product, financial product to be marketed, offered to the public. What kind of uh, investors, uh, accredited investors, sophisticated investors, regular investors, all the complexities are extreme. We are, to, as of today, we only have uh, two licenses which allow us to deal crypto assets. However, we are still uh, determined to re receive the financial intermediary license to enable uh, our platform uh, and to make it possible to offer investments, to, to, to mediate investments opportunities on our platform. And what's the situation with regulations today? And I'm referring right now to the European Union because this uh, 27 jurisdictions uh, is our primary interest, where our primary interests are. We actually engaged with the uh, European there, there is a group of le uh, legislatures in, in Brussels led by Jan Kassem, his team, uh, to develop DFP project. It's a digital finance project, which is still in development. I would say they are not ready to roll it out yet, but uh, lots of platforms like ours are anticipating it. 
I would say licenses will not be issued until this regulation is in place by the end, hopefully by the end of this year. After that, they will be rectified uh, and passed into law in member states of the European Union. And, uh, and that's when uh, there will be way more clarity. Uh, in the meantime, we engage both with Brussels uh, regulator and in our home jurisdiction in Estonia. We are looking to establish uh, a pilot regime or sandboxed environment, which would allow us to operate even before this happens, before the uh, DFP package is passed by the European Parliament. So um, this is on a securities regulation uh, side, but also uh, the other side of regulatory uh, um, considerations is the FIFA regulation and TPO, third-party ownership restrictions, which we are addressing by introducing certain restrictions on a platform in terms of maximum stake that can be sold in one hand uh, on our platform. In other words, we, we do not, we use technology restrictions and KYC procedures to identify the investor to ensure that not a single investor is able to accumulate a stake in an asset that is too large in order to pre uh, preserve the integrity of the game as it uh, as it uh, it is mandated by the regulations from FIFA, uh, specifically by the TPO ownership rates. Gene, let me interrupt here for one second, if I may, because I have a question on this very point, and hopefully you can um, uh, help me understand this a little bit more clearly. My understanding of uh, using smart contracts and using cryptocurrencies, for example, as a means of exchange uh, for you know purchasing digital assets, tokenized digital assets, it almost goes against the concept of regulatory authorities. Yeah, that's a good question. I can see. <laughs> I mean, when when I listen to so-called experts or people who've gone very deep into crypto, it seems one of the key principles of using Bitcoin or Ethereum, mm. for example, to conduct financial transactions is for it to be peer-to-peer, -peer, yeah. however certified across thousands of nodes, you know, recorded on a ledger that is trusted by everyone. Yeah. So I can send Bitcoin to you and the transaction is noted, you know, forever. And I don't need to ask my current banking authority for permission to pay you for your services. So I fully understand that you know the world is regulated, football yeah. is regulated, money transactions are regulated. Maybe you can explain to me and to our audience how is it how do you how do you kind of marry these two seemingly opposed directions that crypto is supposed to go in one direction and regu and, and they're supposed to bypass regulation? Yeah, this is a wonderful question <laughs> and not a simple one. Yes, I agree. There is definitely a huge clash between the old and the new. And uh, yeah, I'm referring to everything that is happening today in a financial world. Uh, basically, we can expect these conflicts uh, to express themselves uh, also in other industries on different levels. I would say over the past decades, the society in general was transitioning to structures that were centralized too much. At the same time, we are not ready with the technology to abandon centralized control right away. So I expect there will be some conflicts, ongoing conflicts in all the industries over the years as we move away from 
extreme centralization to decentralization. And by the way, the SD cubed, as I mentioned, D3, one of the Ds is decentralized. So in yes. other words, we are, we must comply with existing laws unless we want to end up in a prison. At the same time, as the technology evolves and proves itself to show that trust is sufficient between the parties uh, that the authority can remove themselves from as, as an intermediary uh, from between the uh, people who are willing to transact directly. And uh, like at that point, uh, we might see a little bit different paradigm uh, how we interact with each other within sports and in broad society. And uh, I agree with statements from a Bitcoin community that today we observe extreme centralization, which 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 brought us to huge asymmetries of power in the verticals of uh, various industries. And uh, and sports is not an exception. Uh, I do, for, ex- for example, I, I'm concerned that when we see young athletes struggling financially, I think, uh, yeah, it's a Canadian research company uh, concluded that 86% of young athletes uh, are living below the poverty line, struggling. At the same time, NCAA in the United States is uh, reporting a one bill, close to a billion uh, of uh, income. At the same yeah. time, UFR report uh, states that uh, I think uh, six or seven hundred million dollars of uh, commissions were charged by the agents, and in some instances, specifically in the instances of young, not established young players, the commission was uh, on few occasions were registered at forty percent of the value of the deal. Uh, to me, this means there is way too much power residing with the, within certain group of players in this industry, and this is no good. Everyone's trying to jump on the gravy train here. Sports, sports is such a huge industry. You know, Vlad, it's. I just want to diverge a little bit, but this is actually highly relevant. Gene, I hope you listen, mm-hmm. get a chance to listen to our most recent two or three podcasts. Okay, this just feeds right in, Vlad, to what we've been talking about. We spoke about the ATP last week, how vast majority of players on the tennis tour are not making any money. They're not breaking even. And we're wondering where where is all that money going? Is the ATP hoarding all that cash? The NCAA is is, you know, the, the prime example right now of athletes not being able to eat in some instances. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're getting to the point, you know, hopefully where some of this uh, democratization and opening up of uh, of these sports will lead us to a model like you know, like they have perhaps in the you know NFL, where I think fifty percent of the revenue is shared with the uh, with uh, with the players' union. Similarly, in the NBA, and I think you know this is unusual. I would say in other sports, and perhaps you know this is. Um, Tool, maybe a you know a vessel through which perhaps some of that you know revenue share can be you know completed in a in a better manner. Do you think, Gene, that this is going to be a big push? Though this is going to be really tough. I mean, we know how UEFA and FIFA in particular operate. We know the mindsets of you know the executive committees of these organizations, yeah. right? They're not going to want to to allow you know this this whole this whole gravy train to to come to an end. I mean, I agree it's wrong and I would love to be able to as a fan 
participate if I have a local team and they need to raise some money to build a new stadium or to build a stand and the banks cannot support or don't want to support that yeah. that funding I'd love to get together with fans and be able to buy some tokens uh, to help help my club out and potentially get a return on that in the future why will FIFA UEFA want to support this initiative first of all I wanted to mention that we are ready and will be actively engaging with FIFA into any kind of conversation to uh, to make sure that all dots are marked with I, and, yep. uh, marked over I's, and uh, all the boxes checked to make sure that we are not disrupting in the wrong places. We are open to discussion. At the same time, the overall trend in society is towards decentralization. So we can certainly assume that uh, some, even governing authorities or authorities within certain industries will be resistant, reluctant. Uh, we saw it with NCAA reaction to the uh, legislation that was passed by California last year. Nevertheless, the trend is so strong that I don't think it will be possible to, uh, to, to withstand the pressure for too long. Uh, even if, if you use all the power that is in your disposition, you can delay it, but it will not be enough. So the question becomes, uh, do you want to be on the right side of the history? What approach do you take? Especially if, uh, in the case of FIFA, it's uh, what do you do in the best interest of football and uh, as a game and its fans? And... Uh, uh, you you said yourself that uh, resisting it would would probably be not in the best interest of of the football at the same time there are also financial regulations of the european union which uh, which ensure freedom of economic transactions uh, i forgot exactly what's the terminology within the europe but ability to restrict peer to peer lending or investing into assets in sports industry might clash with existing European laws that which govern business uh, business activities. Uh, there were some precedents and legal uh, disagreements between FIFA and some, I don't know, I think this was Belgian club. But at that time, there was no DLT involved. There was no fractional ownership rights. And uh, it was a little bit different in a situation. Here, we are dealing with a situation where we break down asset to a level of, that, it, to the level this, this small, where Literally, a fan with 50 euros in a pocket, maybe 20 euros in uh, in African country or somewhere which which is less uh, rich, uh, which has less rich population, they are able to invest very little amount. So we have a huge number of small investors, as opposed to small number of investors with large control, and that's where the previous clash with FIFA regulations uh, were present. Uh, too much control reside with few hands, which violates the integrity of the game principle and poses certain risks to the game. And here we ensure that this doesn't happen by limiting of uh, how much, how many tokens can be uh, within certain unif um, um, UBO, ultimate beneficiary. Uh, right. And that's the mechanism we basically implement on our platform. Understood. So what is the bigger picture now uh, for 
Well, first of all, for your business, what are the key next steps for you? What are you hoping to to achieve to effectively go live? We've talked about the transfer contract or the con- player contracts and the transfers. So that's clearly the first the first yeah. area that you're targeting. When if all the chips fall in the right way, when do you expect to be able to to offer this as a product? Yeah, I, I wish I could answer you with a specific date, but uh, here's how I see the sequence of events. Um, yeah. Right now, definitely platform is our top priority. As I said, plat- uh, release three, two, two, three, and four. And basically after we finish release four uh, in, uh, by, in summer, we want to test this platform by issuing something that is not regulated. In other words, not a transfer market asset, but a loyalty token or something similar that already exists. Just to sure. just to uh, to test the platform and showcase what what it can do, what it what can be done. And uh, in the meantime, we want to intensify our conversations with lawyers and regulators on the securities law uh, side. Uh, we already engaged them and we had some meetings, but uh, we would like to re-engage them again only after we implement all the regulatory restrictions on our platform. Um, so that will be our second step. We'll most likely, uh, after that, if we achieve uh, certain status uh, with the regulator, as I mentioned, the pilot status or um, pilot regime, or they call a sandbox environment, depending on the jurisdiction, we would like to actually go out with a sale of security token. And I know we already signed a contract with one small club and youth academy in Spain, which which we wanted to launch in July. Uh, But unfortunately, I do not have the green light yet from the regulators. Uh, As soon as it changes, I'm sure us and maybe, (laughs) maybe even others will be full game on. That's uh, that's our priority sequence in the nearest future. We're probably also going to be raising funds uh, just to uh, just after we finish our de- first stages of development. Probably after the release four, we'll go out and raise funds for for the next stage of development and to hire extended team. Presumably, that will be on on the blockchain. We look into both options. Yes, yes. Keeping things uh, consistent. Yeah, well, we we look at things like Polka Starter and we look at uh, crowdfunding opportunities. Sure. We also have 23,000 people in our database who expressed interest already. But we also open to discussions with VCs, traditional VCs. Hopefully, it will make sense if if, if, if what they are looking for and we are looking for have a zone of full compromise, I guess. Well, you might even be able to go public by one of these uh, SPACs, which will be another <laughs> another sort of opportunity as well, right? Everybody's yeah. doing a SPAC these days, so why not? Yeah, possible. Yeah, we'll see. I think we need to finish our product in a way that it resembles a regularly compliant platform. Uh, we don't want to look like, a, I don't know, like another ICO platform from 2017. And that's the key. As I said, we only want to focus on regulatory compliant assets. And uh, and that means uh, we do not want to embarrass ourselves by discussing the platform with the regulators when our when our platform is not compliant from a regulatory standpoint. So, Gene, you've, you've clearly spent a lot of time, you know, thinking deeply about the principles of using a decentralized ledger 
for the sports industry across so many different use cases. Can you give us some of your thoughts on what are the best examples or what are, what are the, the most likely areas in sport, not necessarily football, it could be across different sports, but maybe a functional example where you see digital uh, ledger technology, tokenization of anything going on some kind of chain. What are we likely to see happen sooner rather than later in the sports industry in general? What are your predictions, I guess? What are your predictions? It somewhat goes back to an earlier portion of our discussion. And it also depends a lot on regulations. I would say until regulatory clarity exists, we will see all these new ideas popping up, how to tokenize things without violating these regulatory restrictions. And NFT is an example. And... Uh, I uh, I think uh, we might see regulators coming forward saying there are some issues they see with NFT. Uh, potentially, that might happen. But once regulations are in place, I would say my interest would be definitely looking into tokenizing young athletes and allowing them to, in a democratic way, to raise funds to be able to go and afford training, let's say, a young, talented player in Brazil or Africa, uh, looking to get uh, uh, training and education in in youth academy in uh, in Europe, in Spain, UK, somewhere, uh, but they can't afford it. Uh, this is the way for them to go on our platform, fill out a profile with their records and achievements, and tokenize themselves by using a digital signature. Or if they are a youngster, they can ask their parents or legal guardian to do that for them. But basically, they turn themselves into an asset and sell to millions of fans around the globe who believe in the potential of that particular player. We pretty much launch their career bypassing all the abusive intermediaries and empowering these young athletes, launching them into, a, into life, into a career. That's what excites me. Um, but uh, I'm sure there will be other directions, uh, which I am probably either not knowledgeable about enough or not passionate about enough. This is where my uh, my uh, area of obsession today. Vlad, I think we can be sure that in everything that you and I talk about, you know, every week uh, as it relates to the sports industry, it, it almost seems inevitable that a very large chunk of it uh, is going to involve smart contracts. It's going to involve DLT. It's going to involve blockchain. I mean, my mind is just racing right now, thinking you and I should should start uh, start uh, some kind of uh, digitized fundraising for for young volleyball players. Uh, I know your daughter's a, a volleyball player, and that kind of. Just I have, comes I have one in the house away. right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think we and we actually talked about this. I think this this optionality will be kind of a theme that will continue to you know I think permeate throughout sports. Uh, and by optionality, I mean you're going to have options to communicate with your fan base. You're going to have options to you know structure deals in such a way where you're in more control of certain things. You know clubs. Uh, we'll also have options to, you know, raise money from, you know, different parts of the world uh, through, you know, different ways. And I think 
there are options that we talked about, you know, that these, um, you know, leagues and associations now have with, you know, streaming, for instance, right? This is a whole new kind of world. And I think just this notion of sort of op- op- optionality, I think we're at the very start of that. And I think it's going to evolve over the next decade uh, in areas that I don't think we can even predict right now. Oh, yeah, that's I agree completely. Gene, before we ask you to um, share with our audience uh, where they can find out more about uh, Sports Decubed, about yourself, uh, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to add uh, or like you'd like to share with us? In order to find us, the, the, the easiest way is to go online to sportsd3.com. But um, our other channels of communication is uh, Twitter, Telegram would be a priority as we start going more and more into into public uh, with mass media announcements. Um, so all these links are also on our website uh, at the bottom. Uh, once you get there, you can add yourself to all our community groups. And uh, I would say uh, I would encourage everyone to pre-register on our platform if they want to hear more in the future, because I believe there will be uh, a much more dense uh, sequence of announcements coming as we complete uh, our release two, release three, and launch our first uh, utility tokens or fan tokens uh, on the platform. All sportsd3.com, basically. We will link um, all of these uh, in the show notes you know, for this podcast, every, every link, your, your Twitter link, your, your website. For me personally, you can also you. send a message on LinkedIn because I'm very active on LinkedIn. And that's me personally. Yeah, I think that's where we met too. Yeah. Well, Gene, I think uh, Vlad and I would like to thank you very much for joining us, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to to really enlighten us and enlighten our audience uh, about what you are doing about what Sports D Cubed is all about and really, you know, equally interestingly, where the sports industry is going, where sports finance is going. Our podcast is about business and sports and I think it's unavoidable now that uh, that smart contracts, tokenization of of everything really is is very much uh, front and central for what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, thank you for inviting me for the opportunity to talk about our project. And hopefully it was interesting to your audience. Yeah, Gene, great to see uh, another Kologian uh, impacting the world of sports here. So uh, great to meet you and stay safe. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you, Gene. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. We know that if you're listening to this show, we know that you know how to subscribe to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends and your family about us. And if you'd like to get in touch, please connect with us. Our contact information is in the show notes. Thank you for listening. We'll be in the game with you in a few days with our new episode.